2: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
3: Welcome to Playful Podcast, your guide into the underground scene where we discover topics on kink and electronic music every week. Don't forget to subscribe to not miss out on our next episode. Today we speak to ballet dancer, raver, DJ choreographer and voice for social justice Nicholas Rose. They are opening up to us about their addiction to the drug GHB, also known as G, that they were addicted to for over two years but are now free from. This is an emotional conversation and this is Nicola's own experience of GHB, something they wish to share publicly right now. If you or someone you know is addicted to GHB or any other drug and want to seek professional help, we will add some important links to this in the description. The conversation may be triggering, but if you believe you're ready to listen to an honest and personal conversation about addiction, here it comes. I am Amanda and this is Playful Podcast. <coughs>
2: I've ended up in the hospital dead with my heart stopped beating three times.
1: Three times. Knocking on
2: death, yes. Only because of God am I alive to tell you this. And I'm not afraid to say it. Why? Because guess what? I'm not the only one it's happened to. Happened to other people more, more times than that. I'm just the lucky one to have this platform to talk about it. People absolutely have no idea how dark it gets. People don't know that the people that you are judging and laughing about in the corner... Because I've seen people laugh at me, but I wouldn't care because I'm on the drug. But when I look back on it, people laughing, staying away from you, when all they had to do was open up their heart and say, Hey, I care about you, which was not always necessarily said to me. A lot of it was saying, I want you to stop, but not for my sake, for their own ego's sake, because they didn't want to see something tragic happen. They didn't act. A lot of people didn't actually weren't asking, actually, uh, people were not actually asking, um, What are you doing for yourself?
3: How was your a party lifestyle before? Did you enjoy to go to clubs or like...
2: (laughs) Actually, so when I was dancing previously before Canada, I was dancing in the Dance Theater of Harlem and touring around the world. And this time, between the ages of 19 years old and 21 years old, I traveled to about 36 U.S. countries and four European countries, uh, th- 36 cities in U.S. and four European countries. And um, in that time, we go in, we do the show, and then we go to the club. This is pretty much... When it is, because we'll have the next few days traveling or resting. And in that time, you're meeting all these amazing people. And we also knew that that was pretty much one of our only opportunities to actually get to know the people around us, is by being in social events. Because when you get there, you're going straight to the theater, kind of in a bubble. And when you're on tour for so many weeks, it can really take a toll on your mental health. So a few of my friends, we would decide to get together after this. We're going to enjoy ourselves, and we're going to decompress. So we would go to the club together, meet all types of people from all around the world, We would end up in random clubs. I would be in one major big club in Hungary, then another techno club in Poland, and then I would uh, end up in a small town club in the middle of Montana (laughs) or New Jersey, just something random. So I'm seeing it all. Yeah. So
3: you were into techno clubs?
2: I was into techno music for a long time. My dad loves techno music, and Ah. I'm pretty sure he still goes to the club at the age of 72, but um, he was there in Miami at the start of jungle music in the 90s. This was him, and he is being a lawyer, having his own law firm, and also then going to the club and balan- beautifully balancing both of it. I don't know how he was able to do this. Um, I was raised being used to the after party because my dad would have a lot of them. Um, but they would be like... Kid. Oh, yeah, they would be oh. either family-oriented or just, like, friends. But it was always a really fun vibe. And I remember my mom being so angry, like, Jacob, you keep on having afters! But... You know, at the end of the day, when I look back on it, these were some of the best moments of my life because my dad made sure the environment was always safe for us because there was always kids, so it was a very safe party. But we were blasting the techno music, the reggaeton, the rap, the hip hop, all of it, and it really opened up my eyes. And yeah, my dad used to embarrass me all the time going to school. If he dropped me off at school in the morning, you know, be, he'd be playing dun 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 and I'm like, Dad, turn it down. He will stop the car in the front of the parent pickup, get out of the car and start, boom, 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 But what'd you say, Nicholas? What? (laughs) And I'm like, oh my God, my dad is crazy. Years later, I'm literally in my, I'm literally like, I am my father's child. (laughs) Oh yeah, oh yeah.
3: Because then when you got to Berlin, how did you integrate with the club scene then? Because then it was like constant.
2: Oh, yes. It was interesting available. because um, for me, I <laughs> it did feel like a match made in heaven. I can't lie because I had given from the age of 11 until the age of between the age of 11 to the age of 19, with zero social interaction with the outside world, pretty much, I was completely dedicated to my ballet and my cello. So I, I was. it wasn't that I was holding myself back. I was disinterested, actually, because I was so focused on training because I knew that I wanted to be a top level artist and I knew that all of my teachers majority of them were telling me I couldn't do it because I was black. And in Florida people will actually tell you this. Your teachers will actually tell you. I was told by many people, "Why don't you just start African dance or jazz dance because it'll be easier for you? I don't want to see you struggle. I don't want to see you. I don't want to see you suffer. I don't want to see you get disappointed." And I kept saying, "No. I'm going to be a professional ballet dancer. What are you even talking about (laughs) because how
3: stupid must they be oh yeah they have not seen like being interested in why change occurs at all yes
2: um, because ballet is run off of tradition unfortunately and uh, this is the thing that needs to change we need ballet and arts classical art forms need to run off of something other than tradition they need to run off of what's innovative and what is of the future actually while still maintaining a connection with the past of how it was but only taking bits and pieces of it because if you take this top toxic, hostile environment that the ballet world was made out of and you continuously bring it around over and over again, that's actually when people stop falling in love with something so beautiful behind the scenes. And that's why you also see a lot of dancers taking breaks in, or getting injured because of their emotion and their psychological standpoint, making their body susceptible because mm-hmm. the mind, the body, and the spirit is completely connected. And just in pharmaceutical world and in the... In, in, uh just with how people are healing and want to get the healing people are doing a lot of banded work on saying they're not connected and to think that they are connected is crazy but it's all connected actually so
3: yeah and you also made a lot of change within the the on in on the whole ballet scene. Yes. Most which certainly. is like Yeah yeah. So you are your father's son.
2: Yes, yes. Um I started doing my public speaking <laughs> Actually, when I was at the National Ballet of Canada, at the end point, actually, uh, after the murder and slaying of George Floyd, um, there was a huge re-uprising of the Black Lives Matter movement that had already been in existence. But at this point, um, just because of the way this unfortunate but perfect storm happened, people had no choice but to open up their eyes. It actually had to take people being confined to their homes and having to have no choice but to look at what's happening on the TV for them to think, oh my God, what is actually happening? Um, But after that happened, I did reach out to the company asking for support and I was ignored for like nine days and I'm literally just, I, I was so pissed and something broke in me and I thought to myself, if I don't say something now, Nothing may ever be done about this. So I went to the front of the building, filmed an eight-minute video talking about all the abuse that I've experienced behind the scenes, all the mistreatment that I had from the staff at the time of of people uh, who were actually my authority figures trying to belittle me to the point of me feeling like I'm absolutely nothing I'm talking about before going, like not giving me a dancer meeting. So I would go months without hearing feedback, and everyone else got their meetings, and I would Beg, give me a meeting, tell me what I need to do. So eager. And they wouldn't give me any responses. Um, the meeting that they actually ended up giving me, it was right before going on stage. And they told me, we can't give you any other meeting outside of the show, but we can give you one in the intermission. So I got my evaluation in the intermission before going on stage. When they told me you're never gonna, you're not a choreographer, you're not a teacher, stop working on your choreography on your lunch breaks because you are distracted. Do you actually want to be here? Getting in my head, I go on stage and I injure myself. I jam my toe because my mind wasn't there. And their dancers, they knew what they were doing. So I had to actually. um, That that made me get a lot of animosity towards the company and towards myself because I'm thinking that by me exercising my passions is a bad thing. And it made me look at myself in such a negative way. And, and I saw myself in a negative light. Well, there are people in the company who were actually loving me, but I wasn't able to see this. All I could see in here were the comments from the people who were at the top, which is why I decided to stop dancing there because I needed to get to know myself. I realized that everything that I had been relying on was not, was not real. Not everything, but almost everything. Mm. Everything that I was relying on was not real because it wasn't the truth about what I knew about myself. So,
3: yeah. yeah. But then, uh, to go back to Berlin, Mm -hmm. um, you got a job here in Berlin.
2: So, as being a freelancer this is when everything changed because then I had to go from uh, knowing my entire season how it would be 10 months in advance to not knowing at all where my next job was going to come from. Yeah. So I knew that a lot of it had to do with networking and getting to meet people and putting myself out there and by doing that I got a lot of really wonderful work opportunities a lot of agencies um, decided to sign me and get me lots of wonderful gigs. My goodness it was incredible um, but there always felt like there was a little bit something missing that I needed to fill out but I didn't really quite know which, what it was and it turned out to be i just need to get to know who i was and what my real strengths were and i need to also know what my vision for myself was because i put a lot of time to fulfill other people's visions and not giving myself enough time to fill my own so
3: yeah yeah um but you also had time to party.
2: I also had time to party. <laughs> actually, let me let me rephrase that. I didn't actually have a lot of time to party. I made time to party. <laughs> that's a Yeah, that's a good and a not so good thing. You know, it's great. You have to make sure you give yourself time to enjoy yourself. But when you're making sure that you're having more time enjoying yourself than disciplining yourself and yeah. not finding a balance between the two, that's when things can get a little bit rocky for yeah. sure. Yeah.
3: But what is a good rave though for you?
2: To me, a good rave is where there is a um, an undertone of education involved. Um, for me, a good rave is when I can look at the lineup or listen to the lineup and understand that the music that they are putting out there is in reference to where the music came from. I find that that has a really big effect on my mental health and also how I'm feeling in the environment. Also a good rave is a rave where people are okay with looking other people in the eye and where there are areas that people can actually chill and talk to each other. For me, it's very hard to actually be in parties where there's no chill area or no area where you can sit and decompress and, relieve yourself of whatever anxiety you may have because it does pop up of course but um i think um a perfect rave is a rave where you can listen to music a space where you can dance but also a space where you can actually get to know the people who you're dancing with
3: yeah wow you thought about this i, sure I love did. that <laughs> i did not expect it to be oh yeah, oh, yeah. Be such a profound i actually answer. sat and read
2: the questions and then <laughs> slept on it i'm like you know what let me just really think about it. without trying to form an immediate answer. Let me just think about it. But like this morning I was like, oh yeah, I know exactly actually what to me a really yeah. enjoyable rave is. Yeah.
3: Yeah, but you also you were also mentioning like um, the balance mm-hmm. of like um party and that you made room for party, yes. but also that there is a need for balance. Yes. which is something that you have told me that you lost at some point oh 100% and uh, where do you feel that you lost that balance
2: ah that's an excellent question I felt that hmm let me think about that for a second I felt that I actually lost that balance when I was living in London before I moved to Berlin Mm mm-hmm this is when I started consuming certain drugs that we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, this is when I started... What year are we in This, is, uh, this is October 2020. Ah, uh, yeah. Yes. Um, I think that naturally everyone lost balance in the things that they love to do when the pandemic happened. So it's almost like adding insult to injury. Like, I already didn't have an opportunity to dance on stage <laughs> because at that time, um, I left the company in February... Uh, when did I leave the company? Actually... Even though I decided to um, discontinue my contract that summer, I had actually left the company in February because uh, we were on tour uh, but at that point, my mental health was so destroyed from the mistreatment that I was experiencing that I had to take time away and go see a therapist in Florida. So I had to go see a psychological specialist.
3: And you decided on doing that yourself? I did. Did you have and family or friends who told you that now you no, need to collect yourself?
2: No. No. I decided to make that on my own choice. And a lot of people were just saying, be strong, just stick through it. And I'm like, I can't stick through it because I don't even like dancing right now.
3: So what
1: happened?
2: Um, it wasn't a one thing that happened. It was like an accumulation of things. And a lot of... Of it had to do with exclusion, and people like to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but um, all I experienced was uh, underhanded, uh, unknowing racism, exclusion, and uh, zero. Equity. (laughs) In London? No, this was in Canada. In Canada, yeah, exactly. Yes, and that actually uh, put me in a position of me feeling very hopeless and very worthless, um, constantly being taken out of ballets. Um, I could feel that I was being punished for sure just because I was not conforming to what they wanted, and that's okay with me. But And I also knew that there were going to be consequences for me not wanting to uh, give in and submit to something that was not me. And I was also okay with that too. But um, taking that break, I went to see a therapist, um, had wonderful sessions, and I wanted to also be at a time to see my mom for her birthday. I came back to town on March 9th. Um, at that time, they took me off the entire rest of the season. Um, I remember they taking out the calendar and scratching me, Scratch, ooh, can't be on that, that, that. Cause they would not let me be on stage because- they? Um, the artistic staff from National Ballet of Canada, they removed me from the rest of the season because they said my mental health would not be good enough for me to dance, which is discriminatory because you're discriminating against me based on my mental health. And with—and this is also disability discrimination uh, because I am no diversion. I have ADHD, and it's very hard for me to focus on some things, but things that I'm passionate about, I will go full out Felicia for. So I'm thinking to myself... I'm ready and able. I can do this. I'm actually leaving so I can be come back better. And I was just put on the side. So I was taken out of everything. But, you know, karma has a funny way because I got back into town. Four days later, pandemic. <laughs> so no one got to dance on stage. Oh. Yeah. That's <laughs> talk, karma. Talk. That's, uh, car- that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> yeah. So... That was very intense and very interesting and I didn't know when I would be returning back on stage again which is also why I decided to become a freelancer because there was nothing guaranteed at that point. There wasn't anything guaranteed to me when I was in a company making 1200 bucks a week getting all the insurance and all the benefits. I was mm. dead inside and nothing was guaranteed yeah. even though on the paper it looked like everything was guaranteed. So,
3: yeah, I
2: had to make that choice um, that if they can't guarantee something for me or a future I'm going to have to guarantee one for myself.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. But, do you feel, when it comes to, like, drug use and partying, mm-hmm. was that, because there was not a lot of parties going on during the pandemic.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I looked into the camera because, you know, some people could be like, hmm. oh, baby, there was, I did the most partying during the pandemic. Was I that did. when
3: things got out of control?
2: Yes. Um... Actually, that's yeah. That's when things started to get out of control. And as things went on later on, uh, after things started opening up again, things started getting actually more out of control, believe it or not. And I would say that um, home parties are a beautiful thing, but at the end of the day, people can ban people from seeing each other and all that, but people will find ways to party, especially if drugs are involved and addiction is involved. When addiction is involved... People will the the reasoning does get altered, and so the things that you think are really important don't become that important, and the things that you think are actually generally important, you make a way to, uh, you make a way to do it. You find a way to do it. You find ways to connect with certain people and to do certain things, and that was pretty much it. There was a whole underground happening of uh, pandemic parties, should I say? And
3: in London, then because in that's London, where you started. in London,
2: and in Berlin, and
3: then when you came to Berlin, it continued you find it other other ways. Yes, mm. yes.
2: And it wasn't even like I had to find other ways. It was just like Presented. all there yes, 100%. 100%. I didn't think I was actually going to be going to parties. I went there with the thought, well, since there's the beginning of the pandemic, this would be a good time for me to actually get my career together under under wraps and then oh. when things open up and clubs open up, it'll be fine. I'm actually very grateful that I came here when the clubs were closed because had I not been I probably would have been 10 times more lost or dead. Probably I had the pleasure of being able to be in intimate settings with people who I ended up parting with in clubs. So when I did get to the club, I knew kind of pretty much everyone around me um, only because I had moments of being in a close space with people on a consistent basis. And you meet kind of the same people throughout the time and meet new people, of course, but you have a pretty general idea of who's around you. And through the pandemic did I meet a lot of people um, saw people for who they were, saw people for who they weren't and then saw people for who they were you know so mm. it was uh, interesting. I learned a lot about people during this time
3: yeah and it was it's been two and a half years that you have been taking DHB for it's
2: two years two years and one month two, two years, years and, and one month, month I believe. yeah about two years and one month
3: and then you got enough. yes and quit.
2: Yes, I got sick of my shit. <laughs> yeah, basically.
3: So what happened? like how was when, when did you try it for the first time or?
2: I first tried G when I was um, I believe this was yeah, this was August 2020. This is when I was in a party setting and I had just tried like okay, let's see whatever some people giving me um tips or their own experiences but nothing too too negative actually coming from people who are taking the drug <laughs> you're not really <laughs> you know you're just hearing kind of the the good things that it will make you feel and not necessarily being educated at all about the dark side of it
3: yeah and this is like the one drug that you do hear about in berlin that is like it's a banned from all clubs it's banned from all clubs but that you had already heard i had already heard that yeah, too but then yes. the people who were taking it you were like well Absolutely. they handled their shit yes so
2: people handled their shit and um uh, people always find ways to bring things into places so there was also that and um the banning of that i i actually really think that people should uh, clubs should not just ban it for the simple fact of banning it there has to be a reasoning behind it because we are creatures of habit yeah. if you take away a resource we will find another way to get that resource that's the truth and especially with something as addictive as G you better believe people will fight tooth and nail to make sure that they have what they need because you get so locked into it to the point where you don't even question the rules and that is the dangerous part. I wasn't questioning the rules and it backfired I backfired on myself. You know, um, the situations I've I've had with people in clubs, etc. Um, a lot of it, circumstantial. But at the end of the day, a lot of it was me against me, you know. Yeah. And that's the truth that people have to also face. A lot of it is a self versus self kind of thing.
3: Yeah. Yeah, so to... For a couple of days ago, I think this Sunday, uh, you called me on the phone. Mm-hmm. And you were upset Mm -hmm. and felt that you realized a lot of things yes and felt that you had you you had two friends who were visiting you this weekend yes
2: from Zurich yes yes yes
3: and yeah you've been having a little bit of a break with partying yes
2: I had a lot so even in the past couple of months um I just stopped partying. Anything that was going into a Monday, I just wasn't doing anymore, nor was I doing uh, like excessive after parties for hours and hours. This was just something that had left my system naturally due to the fact that I was just focusing more on ballet and getting a lot more jobs and just having to be cognizant about the fact that I have to let go of a few things slowly, but I need to. And hopefully one day I can fully, and I'm really happy about that point now where I fully let go of this. Um, but I must say it was a very hard, uh, it was a very hard journey to get to that point.
3: Um, yeah. yeah. So now you, could, you were feeling that you could try be in this triggering situation yeah, together yeah, yeah, yeah. with these friends because yes. they are not using... Yes, and
2: they're not game. using, nor have they ever... Though they do know of people who have and they've seen the effects that's caused on their friendships with people who have taken it. And before we go to the club, I, you know, I definitely sat them down. I told them... Everything what I was experiencing, I'm telling them, listen, we're going to be going to such and such party. If you see me around people who are taking this drug or trying to rope me in, if you see me trying to rope in other people so I can take this drug, you come up to me, you give me two winks and you say, hey, can I see you for a second? So we made a whole code system before we walked into that club because I know how easy it can be to slip through the cracks, disappear from your friends who love you and go do some things that are not good for you. I was doing it for a long time, and I destroyed a lot of my beautiful friendships just because of that. So I decided to make this conversation transparent with the people who were not taking it. Was it shocking for them? A little bit. But were they more happy and um, respecting of the fact that I was able to be that open and know that I couldn't do it alone? Absolutely. It made our bond stronger, actually. so, But then um, going to this party, it was interesting because it actually was not... Um, an outstandingly crazy party. Actually, it was one of the more healthier parties I went to. However, I had already been experimenting with going to parties on taking this drug, and I saw the beauty in how I felt, and I felt the real Nicholas Isaiah King rose shining through, and nothing was stopping me, and that felt incredible to be free from this and to unlatch myself from these chains. Sounds like you're very strong. Yes.
3: Like that you had decided very firmly. Very firmly. Because it's also a very triggering situation. Yes,
2: absolutely. I knew that there was going to be um, some triggering (laughs) situations and moments and thoughts, but I also knew that I wasn't going to let these triggering moments and thoughts keep me from enjoying beautiful music. So... Turn my focus to the music. Turn my focus to what's happening with the artists that are performing. Mm. Turning my focus to not just the people who I'm spending time with, but who I've been spending time with, but turning my focus to new people who I know are a little bit also a little more clear. Clear. Mm. By clear, I don't mean uh, good or bad. By clear, I mean not taking this drug.
3: Yeah.
2: It blinds you to the point where, like, you may not even, you can look someone in the eye and you're not even, like, I wasn't even able to look people. I was looking them in their eye, but only seeing past them.
3: Ah, Okay, yeah, you were not focused on on the here and now, but uh, how did it evolve then, like from taking it, trying it out the first time until you felt like, okay, I cannot handle it?
2: Oh, yeah, okay. Um, It was actually after I went to do Nutcracker. um, December. In December, for sure, and I had already started the conversation with myself about easing off of it. Because and then you
3: had taken it almost two years
2: almost two years and mind you, I was never um, I'm very very lucky to say that I was never taking G in the middle of the week because a lot of people do just because it is that addictive. Um, I was always making sure that even if I'm going through a really after to come down I will not do that and any and I would also never bring G into my home. So if I ever purchased it I would give it away, throw it in the trash can but I, I just there was always still something in me that knew it wasn't right. So I can't possibly, like, so people can't possibly say they think that this is totally right. Everyone knows it's there's something about it that's just really dark. And um, everyone's going through their own journey, and we have to respect that. But there is something very sinister about this drug and about the things that it makes people do and act and think about themselves and other people, and... Um, I knew that uh, in August, September, when I got the opportunity to start creating my, so I, I choreograph also, and I'm making a series called Ballet Underground where I make neoclassical ballets on pointe shoes to techno music. And I work with uh, producers to make new tracks and stuff, and we put on performances. And at that time, I created a ballet for 16 ladies, and um, we did eight performances. And my whole, my, my those four weeks were dedicated to my girls. <laughs> the ladies dancing the ballet. I decided to dedicate that time to that. Um, I went to a couple parties every now and again, but there were also weekends when I was just not, when I was in London. I was like, no, because I already had experienced that two years before I started getting hooked on this drug two years, exactly like August, 2020. So coming back August, 2022, coming back with a new set of eyes and a job, a lot of people also said, I see a big change in you.
0: And, oh, I, so and, quick.
2: That, and that's what also told me, oh, they're seeing something that I may have not been seeing. Um, But I wasn't noticing. It was simply because I was replacing one thing with something that I love doing. Mm -hmm. And um, that next month, I went to Amsterdam to dance with a lovely girl named Jacqueline Back, who I had met in London. She was on the program, also choreographing another ballet. And so um, we went and did a really lovely performance. Can't talk about it because, you know, like, NDAs, la, la, la. But um, that also opened up my eyes to what it was like. And partying in Amsterdam was one of the healthiest party experiences ever the dutch they the dutch do it pretty right i must say i saw a really big change in how people party because in this scene from what i and i'm it's like comparing apples to oranges and nothing alike but i can tell you one thing that i noticed um, toxic people are more glorified in this scene and toxic people are looked at a little bit funny in the dutch scene like where people are actually kind the most popular people are the nicest ones and that's when i thought this is good no one's trying to shove drugs in your face. This is not the topic of conversation actually. The and you toilet feel
3: that it is in Berlin. A
2: hundred percent. All right. Go to an after hour and try to have a conversation uh, not talking about drugs. Okay. <laughs> or <laughs> noticing how somehow conversations get twisted into that. And not that it's a bad thing, because it does it is a pretty important subject, actually. in regards to, like just objectively speaking, it's around. It's mm. it's there. And so it's hard to talk about, but people more so glorifying the drug use and not really talking about the root of why we are taking this or not talking about what we can do to help heal each other. And Mm. I found that I was having those conversations a lot in Amsterdam.
3: Okay. You also mentioned that uh, when you started taking it, uh, well, the drug does cause an euphoric feeling. Yes. But something that like decreases.
2: Yeah, it does. Um, So it has you feeling like um, everything about you is Okay. Yeah. The good and the bad, you're more self-accepting of yourself and self-accepting of things around you. The downside is it that actually leads you to lowering all of your standards and your inhibitions pretty much. It does. If it's taking too much of a hold on you, it does cause you to lower these um which sometimes you do have to like release your inhibitions a little bit, but in other times, it's really important to have certain boundaries. And um, this drug caused you to kind of erase your own boundaries. And it's very deep. <laughs> it's a very spiritual thing, actually. Yeah. A lot of the things that I knew were best about myself where I was, I was actually actively erasing and not wanting to deal with and not even wanting to deal with my good parts, you know? Just trying to feel cute. But it does end up, but if you really think about it, it ends up just really uh, magnifying your ego, so it just mm. makes you just, like, to me, I just, for a period of time, I just felt like I was just this cocky asshole. I, this is what I turned into, a cocky asshole. <laughs> like, I would go into a party so sweet and kind, and people connecting to me, by the end of the party, the people who were connecting to me are all of a sudden staying away from me or all of a sudden telling me, you, you're different or something's wrong. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? da 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 whatever. Shy. I got, you know, but when you look back on it, people were... Saying what they were seeing, but not direct enough. It wasn't direct enough. People were more so saying um, what they were seeing versus telling people how it made them feel. And only up until did I realize that my behaviors affected people psychologically and emotionally did I decide that I wanted to change. Mm-hmm. So one thing that really clicked for me was around Christmas time. Um, I met two really awesome individuals who I ended up um, hanging out with for a few hours that day before I didn't want to take any G, and I also informed them because they also did it, kind of like just recently with my two friends who visited. And um, the next day I decided to, but I still had a meeting with them too. I said, hey, letting you know, I'm taking G tonight, so I want you to tell me what you're seeing. And it's okay, you could be honest with me. I want to actually know because I want to evaluate myself because there's something that's off about me. And I sat them down um, the day after, and they just, these are two people who I had just known for only two days. They were bawling their eyes out saying, Nicholas, the person that I loved and adored was gone. The best things about you disappeared. You started speaking to us with, with, um, with so much shadiness and, uh, and um, um, what's the word? Condescension. And I hated that. They were like, you were so sarcastic in a nasty way. And I'm thinking like, wow, thank you. So I put on my phone. I have a, I have the whole four-hour conversation on my phone.
3: Video or only? Um, audio. 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 Oh, wow. Trust me.
2: <laughs> Bits and pieces will be released because I specifically told them, this might be uh, put out. I won't tell about your names, but I definitely think that people need to hear the perspective of people who are seeing it from the outside.
3: The way you were affected by G, do you think that's, the common the common traits you know oh yes oh yes that's how you see also others being affected yes
2: i mean you know i am also still friends with a lot of people who don't take g anymore too and there's a lot of people who will actually not talk to you if they find out that you're not taking g or if you tell them i'm not going to people will completely why put you the road um a lot of it For me, all I can say from my personal personal experience, I can say that um, it could offend or defend someone because it would make them feel like um, lower than. It, there's like an insecurity thing going on too. There's a self-shaming thing and a self-worth thing and the fact that it is lashed onto you so much, you get so deep in it with the people around you doing it to the point where um, you think that this is the only way that you can have fun. This is the only way that you can be and your best self can only be shining through if you're on this drug and the moment when they meet someone who has been doing that and all of a sudden they're not, like I remember this past party when people were offering it to me and I'm saying no, I had people cocking their head back, what are you sure what's wrong what's the issue why why
0: yeah. like and i'm
2: like why are you asking me why after you've seen me come so close to death multiple times
3: because that actually like you got unconscious a couple of times
2: i've ever been to the hospital dead with my heart stopped beating three times
1: three times knocking on
2: death yes only because of god am i alive to tell you this and I'm not afraid to say it. Why? Because guess what? I'm not the only one it's happened to. It's happened to other people more, more times than that. I'm just the lucky one to have this platform to talk about it. People absolutely have no idea how dark it gets. People don't know that the people that you were judging and laughing about in the corner, because I've seen people laugh at me, but I wouldn't care because I'm on the drug. But when I look back on it, people laughing, staying away from you, when all they had to do was open up their heart and say, hey, I care about you. Which was not always necessarily said to me. A lot of it was saying, I want you to stop, but not for my sake, for their own ego's sake, because they didn't wanna see something tragic happen. They didn't act, a lot of people didn't actually, were asking, actually, uh, people were not actually asking, um, what are you doing for yourself? No one was really asking that, or, or do you need help with anything, or, or how can I help? Not even asking, do you need help, but saying, I'm gonna invite you here. If you see someone that's having a hard time on a drug or something, don't just say, stop taking it. Say, hey, I want, you inv- I want to invite you to my party, knowing that if there's maybe not people taking G there, invite them in. Bring them into an environment that will maybe make them feel uncomfortable, but will give them at least the opportunity to open up for who they truly are. We are not, people on this drug are not given the opportunity to be seen as human beings, unfortunately.
3: You also have mentioned before that um, some of your friends have also said, like, I just want to quit.
1: Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com podcast.
2: Actually, you're going to find yourself in a lot of these uh, quote-unquote G parties actually talking about wanting to quit while taking G, ironically enough.
3: And what is a G party?
2: <coughs> yes, a G party is a party in which um, it is predominantly filled with people who are consuming G for an extended period of time or where the majority of the people have knowledge about it or majority of the people are enabling it or not saying anything about it and normalizing it, which is pretty much... Turn into almost every party,
3: but how does the vibe get when people are? You know, you oh, described yeah. you described it as you got cocky. You've There's got definitely a
2: timeline. There's a timeline for sure. Just what you? A great question. There's a timeline in order of events how these parties go through, and um, you can see the effect that the drug has on the entire room. Um, at the beginning of most parties, it's quite nice, lovely. Da da da. Have a little bit here. Have a little bit there. But then there always hits an hour. There always hits an hour where people have been consuming for maybe four or five hours, and then the emotional connotation changes. Things start getting very dark. People start getting very sinister. Um, the, the way people look at you starts changing. And also that energy um, is circulated to people who are not even on the drug. So people who are not even taking the drug will also end up in a bad mood simply because they're witnessing a lot of that misbehavior and a lot of that um, really dark energy
3: You also felt that sometimes people said, like, like your friends turned their back on you even though they were using and you were using. For
2: sure. For sure. Um, Just due to, like, how my behavior has changed and how that's affected the people around me, um, people who were even taking the drug would even say, oh, whatever, Uh, he's acting crazy or acting like he's too much, which, it's fine. You People can say that. I already know that, too, for myself. Um, But I will say... um, it's so much psychological projection that goes on in the techno scene with drug usage, um, where you also have people who are not taking the drug who are shaming people who are taking this drug, or people saying, oh, thank God I'm not taking that, but then go ahead and K-hole two minutes later. (laughs) So are we keeping people, um, are we keeping this conversation closed simply because also it may just make us feel a little bit better to see other people in a worse state than us, so it makes us not want to face our own addictions with other drugs?
3: Hmm.
2: That's what I was feeling. Um,
3: To, like... Exactly, turn the angle.
2: Yeah, it makes people feel her. more powerful too. There are people who may deal I'm, with that insecurity. I'm handling
3: and it, or like, I'm fine. Yeah,
2: exactly. I'm good because I'm not that guy. Mm, yeah. And that's where things get ugly.
3: Do you feel that there are people who can handle this drug? For
2: sure. There definitely, I know lots of people that can handle this drug, and they have a great time with it. Um, and those are people that are able to exercise self-control, but also know the power of self-control. And it takes a long time to understand your own. Everyone has their own personal power of self control, and people all have um, the ability to exercise it to make their self control become stronger than their desire to not control. <laughs> so, I do meet a lot of other people, and they're not issue or threatening or anything like that. I just know that um, it's actually a wrong thing to say. Uh, completely cancel it. Da-da-da-da. All I'm saying is that for me. I can never do this again because it's destroyed me (laughs) at one point in my life. And so... You also
3: mentioned that obviously your heart and soul is within ballet. Yes. But you also mentioned that at some point you didn't care. Yes. And that you believe that this is because of the G.
2: A hundred percent. This drug led me to forget about and lose passion for the very thing I was put on this planet to do. That's heavy. That's nothing. No other party drug that you're seeing on the scene is really making. There are some other drugs, you know, like heroin, meth, all these things, you know. And I've never taken part in this. (laughs) I was already locked into something else. But I already knew that, wow, I'm waking up and I'm not even feeling the desire. There would be times I would get up and try to start doing ballet class in five minutes and, no, don't want to do it. And that's what scared me. It wasn't so much about um, how I was when I was on the drug that scared me. It was about who I became when I was off the drug. And when it started affecting who I was when I wasn't even in a party. When it started affecting all my relationships.
3: How did it do that?
2: um, It caused me to believe that no one cared about me. And only I was strong enough to be there for myself. Because this drug can make you feel invincible. Mm -hmm. Which is crazy. But when you're off the drug, you feel helpless. You do. There's a deep sense of, there's got to be more to me. There's this deep sense of, where is that spark again? I need to feel that spark. And I didn't realize, basically I was on this because I didn't know that I was me. I forgot that I I forgot who I was. And when I forgot who I was, I forgot what sparks my joy. And then when I forget who sparks my joy, I then go to the next thing that makes me feel like there's a spark again. Even if it's an artificial spark.
1: Mm.
3: Uh, Well, well, I said before that this that G is banned in Berlin. Obviously, all drugs are banned in Berlin But G is like it's like you go out. This is this is
2: non-negotiable. House for board. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Exactly. And you mentioned something about when you were out this weekend. Mm -hmm. To me, when we spoke in the Mm -hmm. phone, uh, that there was a security guard who came up to you.
2: Oh yes. Oh, yes. Now, this is the moment when I realized, Nicholas, you are doing the right thing. I've been to this particular club several times over the course of the past two years, and you don't realize, but people are watching, and people can see from when you first come to a club through the years, because bouncers are working at the clubs for several <laughs> years or months on end and when there are new bouncers of course they're informing people about who they're seeing i could only imagine like there has to be communication in order for you to really make a place secure <laughs> yeah,
3: i've always wondered you know? if they have pictures of the people who are i always
2: do too yeah. i uh, i'm you always thinking that too an answer, yes I'm I'm don't have an answer but there's <laughs> i'm sure there's a safe room somewhere with all that intel <laughs> Right, but um I remember that like almost towards the end of the party, when things were getting... uh, To me, I was seeing that there was a change in the atmosphere, um, but that could have also just me becoming more aware. It was actually like me watching a reflection of how I used to be in the eyes of other... Like, seeing it in other people, which, actually, from the outside perspective, not a big difference. Can I ask if you were mm -hmm.
3: sober, completely Mm -hmm. sober, or you had alcohol? At this time...
2: Oh, during these hours, I was completely sober because I was actually just like... It was actually very intense for me, and I didn't want to get to the point at all with any drug with being high. Actually, mm-hmm. I didn't have the desire. I just wanted to be a little bit lifted, you know, da-da-da-da. had a couple of drinks, had a couple of cocktails, but nothing where I was not able to see what was around me. So you
3: were very aware? Very. Yeah.
2: Very. And um, I, could, I remember in the moment, too, I didn't, just like when I said I was a little kid, I still wasn't judging anyone. All I was simply saying, uh, all I can say is that I was seeing a reflection of who I used to be, and that broke my heart in a way and how did you see it um what do you mean
3: so because there well can you tell me about the interaction you had with the security
2: Yes. So um, I was going into the toilet to take a piss and the security, saw, the security guard saw me going to the bathroom and he followed me. And uh, right before I closed the door, he was like, oh, my God, you again, you're back. You're, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> because last time I wasn't allowed in uh, this party and he and he was the guy who actually wouldn't let me in. And I'm thinking, what the heck? What's going on? <laughs> now I look back. He stopped what he was doing. He put two thumbs up, smiled on my face and said, I love you. I'm proud of you. You're the man. And I'm thinking, thanks, man. When I'm closing the door. I'm like, oh, my God. This man knew what the deal was from the beginning. And he, just by me walking to the club, it was that much of a big difference on what people were getting. Holy shit, I'm making the right choice. Oh, my God. Leaving the club at the end. He comes back, puts his hand on my shoulder as I'm leaving. Hey, Again. Thank you for respecting us, the club, the people, the music. Thank you for respecting this. Thank you. You should be proud of yourself for doing that. You resisted. And my other two friends, and he was like, and good for your two friends for being there. And I just left, and we all kind of cried a little bit together, like, oh, my God. Who would have ever guessed a really macho-looking, big old bouncer with a bunch of muscles would get so sensitive and so passionate about the health of a party. And just goes to show you, that man wasn't trying to hurt me, banning me from the last party. He was trying to protect me from myself.
3: How do you feel that, like, fellow club goers, or, like, do you feel that they have some responsibility when being... Mm -hmm.
2: Everybody has a responsibility. Everybody must take responsibility for the drugs that they're using and for the energy they bring into the club. They also are responsible for the energy that they carry through the party. Meaning, yes, take responsibility for you being in a good vibe, but also take responsibility for the fact that your energy is changing and you have to be knowledgeable of that and how it's changing. And... I think by taking responsibility, this to me is, uh, responsibility is how you're able to respond to something. And there are a lot of moments when people are completely unresponsive to their actions and how they want to fix them. And so they're just like leaving it out. Like, this is who I am, da 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 da, da. And that can cause so much chaos. But I think there's also the responsibility people have to opening their mouth and actually providing support to people even if you don't know them or if you see that someone's alone or having a hard time or overdosing on G and completely shaky, shimmery, sweating, sweating, sweating. Did you know that literally it is only going to take five seconds to get a bottle of water for someone and, say, drink some water? Not even asking. Just bring it to them. Most of the time, from my experience of doing this, people immediately open up. They also sober up very quickly, too. There are a lot of times in these G parties, people would collapse, be completely comatose, and people say they're sleeping. No, they're in a coma. They're in a coma. Put speed up their nose. No, give them water. Give them a lemon. <laughs> Wake them up. You're really gonna say, let's help. Let's, let's, um, Let's, uh, let's help him get back from this by putting another substance in his body that's doing the opposite effect because G is a downer. You're going to mix a downer and an upper try to get someone to be awake and, and assume it may not affect them. But also the fact that when people are in a coma, people can still hear what you're saying. There's really? lots of time. there's one time, one instance, one of my first five day binges. Oh my God. Um, a girl was comatose and everyone around her was talking so much shit about her. Oh, she can't control herself. She's such a mess. Da, 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 taking too much G, da, da, da. And I remember, since I was fresh there, I'm like, what are you guys doing? She can hear you. They're like, no, she's knocked out. Also, and I'm like, what, yes. what do you
3: mean she can hear you? Who speaks about a uh, friend who, like that? Or like exactly. The people whatsoever. you're literally
2: right. just with, the person who you're actually accepting drugs from and they're out and immediately you're hearing all this disgusting this is this is the point that it brings people to and i know people if they go back in time and look at that they probably think how did i get to that point of being so apathetic to the to the reality of life and death all of that gets very watered down Mm -hmm. how much the importance of life and death that becomes almost like nothing And so I remember sitting down with a girl when she was comatose, rubbing her forehead, and I was saying beautiful things. You're beautiful. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Your body is going to recover. The people kept saying, what are you doing? And I'm like, shut up. Get out. I'm like, da-da-da, it's going to be all right. An hour later, she wakes up. She's awake, gay. Everyone's like, oh, she's awake. <laughs> it's dark, but babe, it's real. It's dark, but it's real. It's dark, but it's real. <laughs> and the girl, do you know what she says? She's, she stopped the music. Everyone's like, what? She says, you guys are all so fake. You guys thought I couldn't hear you. Guys, I felt what you guys were saying about me, and that was so hurtful. Nicholas, I could feel you were the only one who took care of me, am I wrong? And I was like... Oh, my God, she actually knew what was happening while she was unconscious. The words people say are so powerful and they carry so much energy. She literally knew people were all saying these things about her because she could feel it in her body when she woke up. But she also knew there was someone there to comfort her that whole time. She's like, I felt like someone was saying something really positive to me during that whole time, though, at the same time. And I was like, she was like, that was you, wasn't it? I was like, yeah, it was. It was. And, and she were was like,
3: you on G at this time?
2: At that point, yeah, I was, but I also still, at this point, was able to reason whether Nana G, It's not that I I, become—I actually don't become a nasty person. I just become—I just was becoming apathetic, meaning like it was hard for me to get into my emotions. But when there's something like that, so shocking, where I first entered the club, uh, first entered the party scene here, where I was a little, where at the time I was much less desensitized to what life and death was. So to me, I was literally seeing, oh my god, this person could may not wake up. I got to do something. I have to be there for her. And through time, I noticed, even for myself, it became less, it became less of a shock to me, which is what also scared me.
3: Very scary. this is normal.
2: Very scary, yes.
3: And probably she's going to wake up. Yep. But were no one ever worried that what if the person doesn't wake up? Like Mm -hmm. everyone thought that they, the person, the person, the people will wake up. Like everyone were Mm secure, like confident enough. Because who wants. People
2: are very confident in the fact that people will wake up. Most of the time, because people do, most of the time. But there's also, a lot of the time, people don't, unfortunately. And um, the thing about that is people were more willing to let someone stay dead than call the ambulance because they don't want the ambulance coming in and seeing them on drugs. What are they going to do with the corpse? Yes, exactly. (laughs) People putting, (laughs) exactly. What are you going to do with the dead body right here? Now there's really going to be people up in here questioning, you know? And so for me, I remember there was a time when I had a party at mine and um, someone left a cup, a glass of, G, like just like this, just like sitting like this. And someone thought it was vodka and just drank it. Ended up completely comatose. You know what happened? All those 35 people ditched me with four people who were not on G and they stayed behind with me and they literally said, I'm sorry, Nicholas, I can't have the ambulance coming here and seeing me here. I'm sorry. Got to go. All the people who I personally invited who I thought were my friends ditched me and left me with an unconscious body in my, on my living room floor. And I'm sitting here crying. What am I going to do? And we got the ambulance in there cause I wasn't about to have that. I was like, no, we're got to get some help for this man. And it was just shocking to see this to see how people can actually care more about their image and about how people may th- what people may think of them versus if this person can take another breath. That, to me, is when I realized I had a problem.
3: When was this? Last March. Last March, all right. Uh, and had you already been at the hospital one time in a coma then? Or was I had that- been in a hospital
2: at one time in a coma, and that was in that, I, I believe that was... Oh, that was that previous December, I believe. I ended okay. up in the hospital. And also at that time, um, all these people who said they were going to come and visit me and, like, make sure and follow the ambulance, no one showed up. Imagine waking up and no one's there for you. And there are people saying, I'm going to be right there by your side and having to walk alone down the street with nothing, or just your party clothes and just a whole lot of bad thoughts about yourself. And... Not wanting to talk about it because it's a very shameful. You know, this is these are very these are very heavy experiences that can bring upon a lot of shame. Yeah, not only from people shaming you, but you shaming yourself even worse. So you do keep these things hidden. You just hope that okay, maybe the next party just won't happen again. But it does. It does.
3: What did the the medic say to you when you woke up?
2: Um, They told me that I had taken too much G and that. your heart had stopped. And we how had. How
3: did you get there? Were you in a club when you. I fell like down
2: the stairs in a club and I almost broke my neck. I'm sorry, but this is some real shit. People need to know how real this is. People don't think it's happening. It's happening to the best of us. So the I pulled
3: t- ambulance, <laughs> you got there, mm-hmm. and then they found out you mm-hmm. fell because of mm-hmm. the G. And. Uh, what, did they have a talk to you? Did they like give you any option to like consult with someone? Um, I or? met
2: with one psychiatrist, actually, but I was also in the process of moving, and I lost her paper, but I remember thinking that I was too ashamed to go in because I didn't know how... Um, it will be handled. I had known that I had spoken to some people who had recovered, and they were telling me when I was in the clinic they were getting me addicted to benzos. And to me, I think it was very it's very counterproductive to cure um, someone from one devil that people don't know about with and replacing it with a devil that everybody knows everything about. And to me, this is band-aid work. So I was already thinking, even if I go to a clinic, I'm going to get addicted to something else, and that may lead me to relapsing. And would that actually be beneficial to me? So... I then had to really like do a lot of research and find out that it's much more than that. It's actually a trauma. It's actually a trauma response to take this drug. It's actually rooted in your trauma and your PTSD and things that we have gone through in life. It's much deeper. It's a very psychological, very spiritual thing. Very spiritual thing.
3: So you you feel there's no research about?
2: Absolutely G- not. There's no re- there's no there's no um. Let me think. There's no informed research. We have the science. Studies show this is what happens. Studies show you can feel this way. Studies show if you take too much. Studies show if you don't take too much. Studies. Studies. Studies are coming from people who have never taken the drug or have never almost lost their life on it. This podcast, this is a real study. From an informed perspective. No one understands the gravity of this because it has not been spoken about from people out loud who have an informed perspective of really experiencing the greats of this um, of this drug and the dark sides of this drug. The drug is just too damn good. So it can't, it really shouldn't fester in this scene.
3: So you were hooked the first time you took it?
2: No, I was like hooked like maybe the... It was after like two or three months, actually. Because there's times that I'm like, oh, put it down for me. I I was like, "Eh, whatever. Cute. But then before I knew it, right? I know a lot of people who have said, uh, because since there was not so much research done, um, another way to understand it is by trying it. And I know a lot of people who who are very actually anti-G, should you say? And they'll test it. And then two months later, they're completely addicted to it. People who had no intention of even wanting to be around it. Just one test. Hooked. Just like that. It binds to the same receptors in your brain as heroin does. That's powerful.
3: You feel confident. You feel euphoric. You feel like you got some good news. Mm-hmm. You feel like you are the good news. Ah, okay. <laughs> oh, baby. <laughs>
2: it's 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 an intense one. It has you thinking all kinds of ways that may not be based in reality. And that's the that's what people need to talk about with yeah. themselves, with their families, with their friends. Like, really, just open up the conversation. How am I? But also, people want to know so much but people don't want to actually just open up their mouths and talk to someone who's experienced it. That's also that. It's like this judgmental blockade they have of, I'm over here, you're over there. Um, I don't even want to know why, but all I can see is this. So I don't want to associate myself with that because of, I may be seen with you in public I think you have success by association where you'll feel good by being around someone who's popular. But I also think that you can have um, embarrassment by association where you'll feel embarrassed just by being or talking to someone who is known for taking a certain drug. A people are feeling ashamed to be around me for sure. For sure. This is
3: for sure. So one of the things with, with uh, G is also that it's cheap. Yes. They say. Very,
2: very affordable. You're not putting out more than like you're literally... To last you through a whole weekend, that's including sharing with your friends and other multiple strangers, <laughs> you're not putting out more than uh, 50, 30 to $50 for a whole weekend for this drug. Yeah. Making it particularly easy to um, continue with. Most people, a lot of people can stop their uh, usage of a drug because it's too expensive or it makes them go broke. But this is not the case. Actually, it's for the drug itself. Um, the issue actually is not about the how this drug has caused me to fuck up my money. for a period of time. It's really not about the drug itself and how much it costs. It's actually about the financial decisions I made while I'm on this drug or the financial decisions I would make while I'm off this drug in order to recuperate my life from being on this drug. But particularly this, it's more about the reasoning behind it. It's really just like the reasoning, like, oh, no problem. I'll buy everybody an Uber or, oh, no problem. Um, I will pay for X, Y, and Z drug because let's also not get it twisted. G parties are not only done with G – this drug will also have you be totally okay with putting money into all other drugs to mix it with it, so ah. it ends up actually then being pretty expensive.
3: And then maybe it's like if you're taking, it, like if you're taking it off a lot, mm-hmm. it may be hard to have a job.
2: Very, it makes it very hard for you to keep a job too, um, because you're either binging for days into the week where you don't have any energy, or you're not even there anymore to even show up to remember or it's to the point where yeah you did do uh, your due diligence of going home on Sunday night but you have zero energy to even get up out of bed to take a piss so you're feeling like sometimes I would feel like um I just felt like sometimes just like a corpse and a body that wasn't even mine and here I am spending my whole life working on the discipline of my body
3: I think no one would ever figure you were not, like, doing, being passionate about dance, doing the jobs because it all looks so successful. It looks so
2: good from the outside. But the thing is this. That's why I got to give myself a pat on the back. Because I somehow still made it work. Somehow. I got to thank God. Because somehow I found a way to get my shit together before a job and somehow pull through. And most of the time when I'm doing these jobs, I'd be in a really, like, intense come down or something like that. But I would always rely on the passion of the ballet. It would come back. I would get glimpses of my passion when I'm in the moment doing a shooting. But it would always be going into something I would just feel like, kind of like, ugh, I'm not good enough or I'm not ready or I'm too exhausted. But then the moment happens with the journal and It's like, okay, I'm doing it. But then afterwards you'd be like, I'm so exhausted. I can't do this. And something had to give over a period of time. Like, really, I did a, I think I did – uh, given the circumstances of what I'm dealing with behind closed doors, I think I've done an excellent job on trying to hold, to grasp whatever I could with my talents. And now that I'm at a point where I no longer am taking this drug, it feels so easy to welcome in jobs. It feels so easy to give everything I got. It gives so easy to be of service. This drug keeps you from wanting to be of service to people around you. It, it's a very self-serving kind of thing going on. So mm. <coughs> very much.
3: Yeah, can you also see uh, because it's a drug that has been talked about since the '90s, at least yeah. what I have yeah. heard about since the '90s, but probably since the '80s even. But okay. um, do you see a right you who have been having a big community? Mm-hmm. I'm I'm saying now, uh, who are doing G? Would you say that it's Rising?
2: I think that this um, the usage of this drug is rising. Um, I think that uh, the rate in which it's rising was not as intense as when the pandemic happened. Because you had a lot of uneducated people coming into parties, wanting to fit in or trying to understand. Or people who had just zero knowledge and being misinformed by people who are on the drug only to be hoodwinked. Kind of sort of tricked in a way because people say it's such a great drug, but they also know what it can do to somebody in a bad way and still not and still withhold that information. So you're actually, you're you're witnessing a lot of helpless people and a lot of uneducated, innocent, innocent young people end up on this drug. And that's, you know the saying, misery likes company. Misery likes company, and that's all I have to say about that.
1: Mm.
2: Birds of a feather flock together. Trust and believe. Mm.
3: And yeah, you also said that a lot of people take it daily. And I heard that the withdrawal symptoms are really intense.
2: Oh my God.
3: (laughs) Like if you quit, you shouldn't quit all at once.
2: I had to learn that I couldn't actually quit all at once. I had to ease off of it. And that was a difficult thing because that can lead you to not doing it. But a lot of times I will ease off of it. That will lead you back into easing back into it even more. And that was a very difficult part. Um, What I had to do was literally just like, there are moments when I would ease off into it and then go cold turkey without a choice because I would accept a job out of the country or a job that I thought was so important that I literally would not give myself the time to do this. And those are the moments... Where I experienced a lot of withdrawals, like when I went to um, when I went to do Nutcrackers in December, I was literally walking out of Bear kind and two days later on a, walking to Bearkine and two days later on a plane um, to America to dance in a small town, two small towns where there's no access to parties, clubs, anything, and it was literally just me, myself, I, this dance studio, and my dance partner, and I felt like my life had been snatched out of me and having to make myself do ballet steps and the night sweats. I still, to this day, I'm getting night sweats. Uh, They're not as bad as what they were before, even a week ago. But um, throughout this year, since two weeks now, waking up in a puddle of sweat, if able to sleep, sometimes I'm getting one to three hours of sleep. I'm dead serious. And this is, it carries through in the middle of the week too, because your body is literally excreting something that has been, uh, that has been so used to a substance for so long. And your body can actually, And it's funny how your body works like kind of like a clock. So when Friday comes around, I can feel my body start to getting more fucked up. And as the weekend goes on and I'm resisting it, it's getting more fucked up, even more, because it's expecting to have this drug in the, in the body at this time. So Friday to Sunday, if I'm not taking this drug, these are the days I'm having the worst withdrawals. Um, I have posted some ballet videos of me just doing ballet bar in the middle of the night. Those are that's because I would decide to not go to the club or someone said, let's go to the club. And it's urged me so much. And I'm like, OK, I'm going to go. But then I will say, no, I'm going to do ballet. I've replaced it with something that distracted me with something that I love. And then, yes, I will be sweating, but I'm sweating it out with ballet than sweating it out in my own like uh, self judgment. Mm-hmm. So instead of sitting and judging myself, I'm like, you know, what? if I'm going to get this out of my body, I'm going to get this shit out of my body once and for all. And the ballet has been my cure. Not only God and doing at-home therapy, got into a lot of shadow work. I also will send you a link. There's a really amazing shadow workbook. So if anyone wants to get into it, there's a oh, deeper. We can link it. Yes, for mm, sure. Perfect. So just on their own time, people can actually understand what are the demons that I'm fighting and I'm using this drug to uh, minimize these demons that do come out and play jump rope with me in the nightclub. <laughs> because, baby, the demons come out to play. And it's no joke. And the crazy part is uh, no one talks about it. Mm. No one talks about it. I, From my own knowledge, I'm the only one that I know of that has come into a public platform and spoken about it from the other side. Yeah. Which is probably why it's still continuing and why the rise has gotten... Pretty intense simply because um, no one's speaking about it and the information people getting off the internet is pretty much uninformed and not from a perspective that someone can actually trust or value because they know the other person doesn't know about it. And and no one's going to want to stop something if they're just being looked at as being a statistic. These are real human beings. These are beautiful young people with so much talent. I'm not naming names and nor will I ever. That's not my responsibility, but I will tell you this. Some of the most talented and beautiful and kindest and entrepreneurial people are taking this drug. And a lot of them don't have any idea how incredible they are. So I didn't know that I was me, but now I know who I am. And that's the cure. Knowledge of self. Yeah, That's all. And a lot of love and self-compassion. I had to understand in order for this to happen, it has to start with, and I have to start speaking to myself kindly. It continued because I was being also very mean to myself. And so by taking this drug, it would keep my thoughts from being so mean to myself. And then after taking the drug, I would have all these angry thoughts about myself. So I had to actually take a step back and really observe. Why did I immediately think that negatively about me? Why am I being so hard on myself about that? And then I would take it one step at a time, kind of like, I'm being my own, like, <laughs> inner child parent again. It's just, like, mm-hmm. walk myself across the street to get some ice cream. No, we have Loving to stop, little Nicolas. baby. We have to stop. We're yeah. going to get the ice cream in a little bit, but just wait. Walk together, get some ice cream, have a good time. Instead of, no, we can't do that. Because we end up having a lot of arguments with our inner child.
3: Yeah.
2: Especially in this scene. Because it does happen. A lot of things, unprocessed things come up when you're um, under the influence, for sure. And that's why I think that it could be a very helpful and healing thing. Partying and drugs and all of that. You can use drugs to run away from you or you can use drugs to come back to yourself or get to know yourself a little bit more. There's certain drugs that will push you to run away from yourself and there's certain drugs that will push you to get more in touch with yourself. It really has to do, it's all a tool. People can use tools to um, build communities or create a mass genocide like World War II. All with a tool just has to do with how the tool is being used and the connotation and what they want to get out of it yeah. with the usage of said tool.
3: Yeah. Did you need any external help besides the, the self-work you've, you found, like the books and, and all shadow work? And I must everything.
2: say I did a lot of this alone.
3: Yeah.
2: 80% of this process so far has actually been done alone.
3: And did you speak to your family?
2: Oh, yes. I recently have reached out to them. Oh, my God, I'm so grateful for them. Like, it is something that I must tell you, there is something very, very heavy about having to explain to your parents and your sister what the drug actually is. Because they, the first thing, my mom, what the heck is G? My sister, what the heck is G? But this moment of, oh, my God, I was in something so deep that no one had any idea about. You know, parents and family, 74 7,400 kilometers away, they don't know what you're doing. But they're not sleeping either, just like me, because they know there's something up. There's something dark about Nicholas. There's something off about Nicholas, you know? My sister has actually a sponsor, because she, too, um, is in her uh, journey of health, et cetera. Because, you know, we're all part years, babe. (laughs) Majority of us. But she's on a very, very healthy, healthy track and living her life fully sober and just wicked, wicked awesome. My little sister's one of my heroes. And she had a sponsor, and she has uh, shown pictures of me, of me dancing, and he literally... Your brother's on drugs. Be careful, because I don't know if he's safe. And my my sister told me this last night. Last night on the phone, she said this. She says, "Did you know, Nicholas? I've been having psychic dreams about you, about people festering off of your energy. My my uh, and also she said my um my sponsor did too. One day we went to therapy together, and he literally said I had a nightmare that there was a bunch of people around your brother feasting off his energy and wouldn't let him go." Check on your brother. There's something going on bad. Because this my sponsor's partner had just died from an overdose two weeks ago and literally said, Nicholas, Angelica, make sure that he's good. Pray for him. There's something up with Nicholas. And I don't even know this man. Hmm. And he and so there are people who are hoping and praying for your health that don't you don't even know. That's the power of people. That's the power of yeah, people. Yeah,
3: power of thought it's, power of thought. Ooh, yes. Yeah, it's so strong. Mm-hmm.
2: And it's just, and it is miraculous. And my sister, uh, you know, and I told her, you know, well, she explained to me, you know, he would be so happy right now. He passed away two weeks ago, but he'd be so happy to hear this because he was following the situation for two years. And we were talking about you for two years, hoping and praying together for you. And even though, and, you know, I said to her, you know, even though he never got to see the day, he's here in the spirit. But I'm just grateful because you can see the day, Angelica. You can see the day of not having to bury your brother from something like this. You can see the day. And we just broke down together because it is powerful. It's powerful to not know if you're going to see your family ever again, especially being on the other side of the planet, not knowing a certain language. (laughs) It's even more.
3: Yeah. Wow. Wow. Thank you so incredibly much. Thank you so much. I'm honored to
2: be of service to the community, to myself, to you, to Playful, to everybody. This is the first step.
3: This was it for Playful Podcast this week. But please follow, subscribe and listen to our next episode. And if you want to have a say about future artists or even ask your own question to one of our guests, Follow us on Instagram and make sure to add your question when we lift our coming guests. Thank you so much for joining and see you next week.
0: How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.